0: This is Reverend Karen, and she's going to teach you how to be a woke Christian. We're also going to talk about women's ordination and why it's wrong. Is that just a sexist thing or is it theological? Let's get into it. Everybody meet Reverend Karen. There's a difficulty with female protestant ministers because you just don't know what to call them mother pastor pastor is a male term it's latin male for shepherd what what do you call these ladies mother mother karen i mean there's problems all over here well I used to be an Episcopalian priest before I was a Catholic layman, and I've had to deal with these ladies before. And it's very it reminds me a lot of the current political situation. I remember being in seminary. This is Anglican seminary, Episcopalian seminary, Noshoda House in Wisconsin, for anyone wondering, which was a conservative Episcopal seminary. And there were female seminarians there, not a lot of them, but a few. And we had a conservative block of seminarians and they found out that we didn't believe that they could ever become priests and that they shouldn't be ordained. And they were upset and they were crying. And we had to have a group session on the seminary campus in which these women who were crying were saying, you have to affirm our vocation. And we said, no, we don't. We don't believe that you should be ordained. We don't believe women should be ordained. And they were crying that you are hating us, you are offending us. And it was very much as you see in the uh, transgender movement. I believe this about myself. If you don't affirm it, you hate me and you're hurting me. It's a very difficult situation. We don't hate these women. We don't want to hurt these women. We just don't believe that they should be priests. And then they can manipulate a situation in which the people who won't affirm that vocation are evil or bad. Okay, so that's a bit of a background on me. I'm going to talk about, towards the end, why women can't be ordained, why women can't be priests, why women can't be deacons, why women shouldn't be altar servers, acolytes, and Eucharistic ministers. And if you are a female and you are one of those and you feel threatened, please take a deep breath and stay with me to the end. Please stay with me to the end. All right, let's take a look at Reverend Karen's setup here. All right, I'm going to start from left to right because there's a lot going on here in Reverend Karen. Okay, so all the way over here to the left, we've got the djembe. Do y'all know what a djembe is? If you've ever been in a drum circle, if you ever been to a fish concert, grateful dead, you've encountered this. A djembe is a drum that you usually put between your legs, between your thighs and you, you, you get into the beats. So she's got that going. And then beyond the djembe, she has what appears to be a dream catcher. I'm not sure. We've kind of got the dream catcher thing. Earrings going on. Um, But yeah, she's got the bay. That's for the tribal beats. If you are a white, woke, liberal, Protestant minister, you have to establish your credentials as being down with tribal stuff. This started in the 90s. Um, Perhaps one of the most obvious manifestations. When I go to the gym, occasionally I'll see men my age Right, we got a little salt and pepper going on. And if they were edgy in the nineties, they had a tribal band. Some guys got the barbed wire. That was a little more southern. Other guys got the tribal band around their arm looking cool. When you're in your mid to late 40s and it does it doesn't look cool to have a tribal thing. But for some reason, beginning in the nineties, suburban white people believed that being tribal meant. That you were enlightened, you weren't racist, you were a good person, and you were spiritual, and that's still part of the movement. Now it's gone even more. You know, you've got the BLM levels, right? But this was sort of the beginning of being woke and being sensitive, being non-Christian, non-white, as you wanted to be tribal. So the Jimbe, that the Jimbei really got popular in the two thousands. Maybe late 90s, but the gym bay and then also women with the dream catchers, that was another sign. Hey, I'm tribal, right? I'm just spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. So on Reverend Karen's right hand, she's got identifiers of both of that, right? She looks like she's late 30s, early 40s. So she's definitely in the gym bay age zone, definitely in the dream catcher. And we might as well just jump to the earrings right now. We got the uh, the purple dream catcher earrings. I think that's saying I'm here to hear your dreams. Your dreams float out into the worship space. They hit my ears and drip in and I hear your dreams. That's why I'm wearing dream catchers on my face, hanging from my ears. So we got a double dream catcher now. We got to go with the candle there on the far right. It's not just a normal candle. It's got some emblazoned stuff on it. It's got the blue, new agey bowl. And I've been saying this for years. It's in the Catholic Church as well. For some reason, they believe symmetry of a candle on the left, equal distance from the candle on the right, centered with a crucifix in the middle. They don't want that. You can go to almost every Novus Ordo church in Rome. I'm gonna I've been to most of them, a lot of them. There's over a hundred. 75% or more of them. The alt the candles on the altar are always on one side. Two of them all all the way on one side. It's just a sign of modernism. It's a it's a hatred of symmetry. She just, I mean, she just went for one on one side. Okay. Moving on, and by the way, whenever you see the two candles on one side of the altar, it always includes on the other side, wait for it, a potted plant. There's always a potted plant. It's like in the woke mindset, candles on one side, potted plant on the other, and Karen nailed it here. I would take points off of Karen here that her potted plant is a little bit, y'all see it way over there? it's a little bit removed from the altar. If she wanted to be more Novus Ordo Catholic, she would have that potted plant either on the altar, AKA Pope Francis, or scooted up right on it so that it would have, it'd be in the shot. Now who can miss the rainbow flag? The rainbow flag is, is forming the Reredos in Traditional churches behind the altar usually have an altarpiece of Christ crucified, um, the pieta, some beautiful inspirational art that the priest looks at during the consecration. Here we're just going straight up LGBT, LMNOP. We got to have that flag. And if the Jimbei drum and the dream catcher didn't indicate that we're going to be completely woke here and completely on board with the matrix, the rainbow flag is definitely it. Also, on her right hand, beneath her right hand, by the the New Age candle, we've got the shot glasses of grape juice. But what's weird is is we also have two chalices that are silver and a loaf of bread in the middle. But those shot glasses are very common in Protestant worship. Clearly, this is Protestant. Okay, Catholics don't have women priests. We'll get to the stole in a little bit. We got the Protestant, and these are the little shot glasses. Sometimes they're plastic. Sometimes in really fancy Protestant churches, they have glass ones. They pass the tray. Everybody takes it, and then when the minister gives the signal, everybody does this, and they take the shot. If they're plastic, people put them on the ground or in little holders, and then they throw those away, which is crazy when you think of this is the chalice of my blood, which is our, what our Lord Jesus Christ says, and then you would just throw away the cups into the trash bin. It's, it's truly amazing. But I don't think Reverend Karen believes in the real presence, and we'll see why that's impossible if you believe in women priests. Okay, then we have the chalice. The chalice has to be there because everybody knows that Christian, that Jesus held a chalice at the Last Supper. And even though they're using the little mini shot glasses, you got to at least have a symbolic chalice. She has two up there. I don't know what that's about. Then she's got the loaf of bread. We Catholics use unleavened bread because Jesus was keeping the Passover, which is also called the feast of unleavened bread. St. Paul says, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven. So the Passover sacrifice in the new covenant is the Holy Eucharist. And this is why most Christians on earth, all the Roman, all the Western, and the Armenian church uses unleavened bread. Because it derives from Christ instituting the Passover or the Eucharist at the Passover, which is the unleavened bread. But for some reason, Protestants love to have a big, you know, like they went to Outback and they save the loaf. You know, Outback brings you the loaf with the knife and the board. That's what they like. They like the big central market loaf of bread. She's already got it broken and she's inviting you to it. Now we need to focus on her stole and her alb. Stoles and albs in all priestly vestments are for men. Now, what I'm about to say may shock you and offend you. Remember when the Boy Scouts integrated the Boy Scouts and said boys and girls could join the Boy Scouts and girls could come and wear the Boy Scout uniform and all that. And everybody, a lot of conservatives got upset. I'm an Eagle Scout, by the way. They're like, it's the Boy Scouts. You can't have girls being the Boy Scouts and wearing the Boy Scout uniform and being the Boy Scouts. There's the Girl Scouts and there's the Boy Scouts. And there's a whole other argument about, besides it just being boys and girls, should you really have teenage boys and teenage girls going out in the woods in tents? Is that prudent? Obviously not. People were really upset. That happened around the year, what, 2014-15, along with Gay Scoutmasters. People were upset. But here's here's the offensive thing, okay? But it's true. So don't be offended. The Catholic Church was light years ahead of the Boy Scouts because the probably— Longest reigning institution on earth for young men, and wearing a uniform was not the Boy Scouts. It was being an altar boy. It goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. And it's only for boys, and they have a certain outfit, a certain kit that they wear, altar boys. And during the time of John Paul II, people said, you know what? Let's integrate it. Let's let girls be altar boys and let girls wear altar boy clothing. That was the beginning of the transgender movement. When you start integrating a male institution, which was designed to foster male vocations to a male priesthood, do you really think a 50-year-old man, a priest, needs a 12- 12- or 16-year-old boy to hand him a little cruet of wine and water. No, he can do it himself. It's fitting, it's encouraging to bring young men into the liturgical action. Why? To help them discern the priesthood. When you bring girls into it and tell them to dress In the clothing of the altar boy, it's trans. You can't say, I'm mad about the Boy Scouts. I'm not donating to them. My son's not going to be a Boy Scout. They brought girls. When you allow girls to do the same thing with the altar boys, it's the same exact thing. In fact, it's more offensive because now you are implicitly saying, well, we are trying to foster vocations to the priesthood amongst women. But we're not going to allow them to become women priests. And this is, it's a giant cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. It's confusing. I'll tell the story that I've told before. I, we started going to the traditional Latin Mass in 2010, 13 years ago. Sometime before that, my daughter, Mary Claire, you've seen her on my Bible Q&A here. We were going to the Novus Ordo. We were at a Novus Ordo one day. The priest came in and the crucifer, the two torch bearers, and I can't remember if there's incense or not, but there was at least three. All the altar servers were female. They were teenage girls coming in. We were sitting on the aisle. My daughter, Mary, let's see, that was 13 years ago. She's 19 now. She's five or six. Tugs on my suit coat and says, Daddy, Daddy. I'm like, What? I want to be a girl priest too. That was one of those moments where I'm like, I can't expose my kids to this anymore. The idea is if you see girls or women wearing priestly vestments, cassock, surplus, etc., to little girls and to adult women, you're saying it's cool to be a woman priest from the mouths of babes. Now, she's wearing what's called an alb. An alb just means white. It's a white robe. It should be worn in linen, not polyester. St. Jerome, many of the church fathers say that the, the garb, the vestment of the priest Uh, for liturgy is linen. And we see that in the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. A reminder, get my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, commentary in the book of Revelation. Linen, and I explain in the book why linen is important, linen is produced by crushing the reeds of that linen plant. And it's broken and broken and broken. And from that brokenness comes the fiber, which becomes the threads. So linen has, it's, it's always a priestly garment. The idea is linen was created by destroying the plant and creating fiber. So out of destruction comes the cloth. The idea here is death and resurrection. And that's why historically vestments and altar cloths were not made out of cotton, definitely not made out of polyester. They were made out of linen. And our Lord Jesus when he died, they wrapped him in linen. So another reason for linen. And we see that also in the book of the Apocalypse. They're wearing linen, white linen in heaven. Of course, it's white. A priest should be wearing the amus, which is, uh, originally goes over the head and then comes down. I explain that in my book, Crucified Rabbi. And then she has what looks like a brown stole, And the stole is a sign of immortality. It's the yoke that is easy, the burden that is light. Traditionally, bishops wear it the way she's wearing it for the Eucharist. Priests traditionally wear it crossed. And deacons traditionally wear it diagonal across this way. I explain why in my book, Crucified Rabbi. I have a chapter in there on the vestments. So she is definitely dressed like a priest, she's also got her bracelets on. And she's, we got to say it, she's off doing this versus Populum. Protestants, except for some Episcopalians, I was one of them, never liked Ad Orientum. The whole, what's the right word here? I want to say ethos, but that's not the right. The whole the, the, the situational awareness of a priest going at orientum, that's where his back is towards you and he's facing a crucifix, right? So his attention is on a cross and not on the people. The, the, the circumstantial presence there proclaims the priest is offering sacrifice. If the minister faces the people, it's more of a communal celebration. The priest is giving something to the people. Right. It's a it's a it's a horizontal exchange when the priest is working the liturgy over the surface of the altar towards the people. So Catholics traditionally have this ad orientum. Or if it if there is a versus populum situation, like at St. Peter's, there's six candlesticks, a crucifix. I mean, there's some obstruction. So versus populum is always going to be more Protestant, more communal, more transactional between the minister and the people across the table. It's always going to be more circular. Down the middle, we've got the purple waterfall. And what is that, velvet? I mean, it's just, you've got the purple cascade flowing forth. Is this Lent right now? Is this Reverend Karen's favorite color? We've also got the fake flowers, or are those strawberries on a vine? I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on there. And I also don't understand. You sometimes see it in Catholic churches. It's the idea of boofing up fabric and putting it up as decoration. I don't understand that. Maybe someone in the chat can explain that to me. I'm going to jump over in the chat. What is the boofing up of fabric called and using it as like a decorative piece? Clearly, she's got that going on. She's got the boofed up purple Satin with the straw, fake strawberry vine coming down. I mean, I would have gone with grapes if you really want to do that. Anybody? So Laura says this is, it's a new age thing, but I don't know. I've seen it, I've seen it so much. The boofing up of fabric. It's kind of like, I don't have an example in my mind, but you think of like uh, my big fat Greek wedding, there's a lot of puffy fabric stuff. Whereas in traditional Latin masses, you have damask and brocade, and it's usually like falling like symmetric, like can someone understand someone who's a designer? So <laughs> Harrison, funny comment. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Jerry says, it's just a Novus Ordo thing. I don't know. It's something more. Um, I'm looking through here. It's called a swag. Is that what it's called? It's called a swag? I don't <laughs> There's some really funny comments here, but I don't want to put them on the screen. Um, yeah, okay. No one knows. I don't know what it is either, but it's it's a thing. okay. We've also got a Bible on the altar here now in a in a mass the the Bible is meant. Well, it's not a Bible, it's a missile. The missile has all the prayers the priest is supposed to say and it faces the priest so the priest can actually use it. Here, this is more of a visual reference point. And you see this in Novus Ordo too. Sometimes they'll put like a Bible or a book of Gospels on the altar facing out to the people like it's spraying them with graces. I don't know what that is either. Um, Of course, we've also got the giant pot the brown pot behind the altar. It's interesting. There's actually like monastic stalls behind her where like monks would sit. I don't know what that is right there, but you got the big brown pot behind her. It's a decorative motif. Uh, I guess that's just going, we're just going tribal. That's a theme here. Tribal is cool. You know, we got Jimbe, we got dream catchers, new age candle, and we got a pot. We've also got the potted plant. I mean, all the essential features here, and I mean, the rainbow flag coming down, and then in the front, you got the puffy purple fake strawberries. I mean, Reverend Karen executed this. I don't know if you had came to me and said, hey, I've got $500 for you, Taylor. I want to challenge you to come up with the most woke, modernist, liberal setup in the world. I don't know if I could have done this. I probably would have overlooked things like Jim Bay. Maybe I would have thought of Dreamcatcher. Certainly the, the rainbow flag has to be on there. I definitely would have had the new AG candle on one end, but some of this stuff is just, I mean, it's executed flawlessly. We're just going chef's kiss here. Beautiful. Now, why can't a woman besides all of this woke, SJW stuff going on. Why can't women be priests? Is it because the church is sexist? Is it because we devalue women? Is it because women aren't smart enough or good enough to be priests? Well, it's not that. Women can be excellent communicators. Although I have said, if you made women priests, homilies would go from like five to 15 minutes to 45 minutes to 60 minutes. I'm just telling you, if you gave women the opportunity to preach, it would get long. A lot of people would be against it just based on that. But the the reason women can't be ordained and cannot even function at the altar is this principle It has to do with homosexuality do i have your attention the reason women can't be ordained is in the eucharist the priest is not just a preacher it's not just a minister he's not just a reverend or a pastor he is a priest in greek a hieros, and a priest offers sacrifice, and the priest of the new covenant says the words commanded by Jesus Christ when He said, "Do this in remembrance of Me. This is My body. This is the chalice of My blood." The operative word here is my. M-Y in Latin, meus. This is my body. I can, I'm on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Now, look, guys, this is my body. I am Taylor Reed Marshall. You want to know who I am? Well, I've got my soul, I've got my intellect. You know, my personality, you know my behavior, you know the way my face moves and talks, and probably if you met me, you know how I walk and move around. But you know me by my body. This is my body. This is Taylor Reed Marshall's body. This is it right here. My body. When a priest picks up unleavened bread, picks up a chalice full of grape wine, says this is my body, he's not talking about my as in Father McGillicuddy, Father Smith. When he says that, the my refers to Jesus' my, not his my. Think about that. He is saying, I am identifying my body With the body of Christ, and by Christ borrowing the body and the voice and the mouth and the hands of the priest holding bread and wine, when Jesus borrows the body of that other man with those words, the bread transubstantiates into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. If this isn't true, by the way, we Catholics are just a bunch of idiots. The entire church is fake. If transubstantiation isn't real, we are to be pitied among men because we follow the biggest gimmick that's ever existed in humankind. But if that little host is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, every single human on earth should be striving to enter the kingdom of God Which is the Catholic Church on earth, one holy Catholic and apostolic. Now, you might be saying, what does this have to do with Reverend Karen and women priests? Well, we learn throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Christ came as the bridegroom. He often calls himself the bridegroom. That means he's come to become a husband, he's seeking a wife. When he dies on the cross, there's this dramatic moment that St. John makes a lot of. It's emphasized on the Sunday after Easter. His wound on the right side is opened up and water and blood come out. And this harkens back to Genesis when God creates a wife for Adam out of his side from his rib. Jesus creates a wife out of his side through blood and water the sacraments of baptism, and the Eucharist. And his wife, his bride, his spouse, is the one church. The church is the bride of Christ. This is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John taught. St. Paul, in his epistles, teaches that the church is the bride of Christ. This is one reason why both Jesus and St. Paul banned divorce. Because a man and a woman married are symbols, are signs of the heavenly reality of Jesus and the church. And Jesus will never divorce the church. He's united to her on the cross, opening his wound. Even as Thomas put his hand in the wound. Taylor, what does this have to do with women's ordination? A woman has a woman body. I know that's kind of a controversial thing right now in America and in the world. You can even get banned and lose your job for saying things like that. And a man has a man body. And I don't need to tell you the differences between a man's body and a woman's body. Probably no. I know people contest that, but I'm going to assume that my audience and the 1,500 people watching right now. By the way, if you like this video, give it the thumbs up share it, and please subscribe if you haven't subscribed before. Man have man body, women have women bodies. If a woman gets up on the altar, presumes to be a priest, and says, this is my body, and then offers the Eucharist to the church, remember the church, the people collectively are the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom, he's the husband, the liturgy becomes lesbian. Are you following me here? If the woman is in persona Christi, she's in the person of Christ, she signifies Jesus Christ, but she has a woman's body, you got a trans situation going on up at the altar, and then as she comes down and gives the Eucharist as a representative of Jesus Christ, a priestly representative of Jesus Christ, and is saying, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving it to people, the people being the church, you have a woman having the wedding supper of the lamb with the female entity of the church. That's lesbianism. It's wrong. The mystery of the church, read the book of the apocalypse, get the book. The mystery of the church is all going towards the end times reality where Christ in the church and the church without spot purified through martyrdom, suffering reign of the antichrist purgatory, all the means by which Christ is purifying his church, the pure church and the pure Christ are joined. They're united. The analogy analogy here is matrimony. Christ is married to the church. This is why, priest, because of the Eucharist, must be male. It also relates to celibacy. We do a whole other show on that, but I don't want to go there today. Because he says, this is my body. And bodies come in two varieties. I know this is controversial today. Bodies come in two varieties. There's the male version and there's the female version. And Christ chose to come in a male body. He was Christ. He wasn't Christa or Christina. He was Christos, Jesus Christ. He was circumcised on the eighth day. We know he was a male. He chose to enter humanity. By becoming a human male, he's still united to all the human females. We have a common human nature. But he chose the male body to minister to the world to die for our sins, to rise again, and he instituted this sacrament called the Eucharist. And he told 12 men, not women, 12 men, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, this is my blood. And the my here is referring to a male body. And you must have male-bodied priest consecrating the Eucharist for the liturgical sign to be ratified in space-time history in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And that's it. You have women priests up there. It's a lesbian liturgy. Okay, what about lay Eucharistic ministers, altar girls? They're not consecrating the Eucharist. They're not saying, this is my body, so they should be able to do what they want to do up there. Well, remember the traditional teaching of holy orders. You know, one of the seven sacraments is holy orders. The traditional understanding of holy orders is that there were seven holy orders. A lot of people don't know this, but there are seven holy orders. There's the porter, Let's see if I can get this right. Porter, lector, which is a reader, acolyte. Nope, I jumped one. Exorcist, acolyte, subdeacon deacon, priest. Those are the seven orders. And everything under priest, see, Jesus Christ instituted priest at the Last Supper. Deacon actually came later in the book of Acts. That was instituted not by Jesus, but by the apostles. And then later the church also broke down the functions of deacon into subdeacon, acolyte, exorcist, lector, porter, right? Those different functions of the diaconate were further broken down and stripped out into different functions. So, in reality, everything under priest, deacon, subdeacon, acolyte, everything down there is a participation in the priestly ministry of the priests. This is why a man becomes a deacon before he becomes a priest. And traditionally, he became all those orders up to subdeacon, deacon, priest before becoming. That's the traditional way. That's the way I believe. All those things participate in the priesthood. So the functions in the liturgy, even if someone's not ordained, like an altar boy, they are participating in the priesthood. So they may not be consecrating the blood of Christ, but they are handing the water and the wine. They are up at the altar. They are dressed in ceremonial priestly garb, even though they're not priests. They're dressed in priestly attire because they are entering into the priestly actions. The only purpose there there is to assist the priest who is going to say, this is my body, this is my blood. And that is why until the 1970s, never, ever, ever were there altar girls. Now, there may be, that did happen, but it was always condemned. Two popes have condemned altar girls. Let me see if I can find my note real quick. Hold on. I want to give you these notes, because if I say something, here we go. 19... Looking for the year that they were allowed. I don't see the year they are allowed, but here's some quotes. Pope Gelasius. He was pope, and he died in... 496. So we're talking about in the first 500 years here, this Pope says, with impatience, we have heard that divine things have undergone such contempt that women are encouraged to serve at the sacred altars and that all tasks entrusted to the service of men are performed by a sex for which these tasks are not appropriate, end quote. So Pope Gelasius is saying, hey, we've heard of some women serving at the altar. That's not at all appropriate, condemned Also, in the Capitula Martini, a 6th century Gaelic collection of canons, it says women are not permitted to enter the sanctuary. The sanctuary is not the church. The sanctuary is everything past the altar rails, the altar area. Why? Because the altar area is the place of sacrifice. It's where the priest offers the Eucharistic oblation. And so only those ministers who are duly appointed to assist the male priest may be in that area. Again, this has nothing to do with sexism. If it had to do with sexism, we would say, well, Mary is below the 12 apostles because the 12 apostles were priests and bishops. Mary wasn't a priest or a bishop. Therefore, she is inferior to Peter and the apostles. But that is not the teaching of the Catholic Church. The teaching of the Catholic Church is that the Blessed Virgin Mary is superior to Peter and the apostles. Now, in the order of jurisdiction, she doesn't have that jurisdiction. But in the what would you call it, the economy or the application of grace, she's the mediatrix of all graces. She's the mother of God. She is the means, the personal means by which God the Father and the Holy Ghost brought about the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. We even believe that all of her grace and her merits are more than all the angels and all the saints combined So the Blessed Virgin Mary is way above the apostles when it comes to status. But she's not a priest. And Mary would not have said, hey, let me be be an altar server. Let me be a Eucharistic minister. No, Mary would not have done that. We know Mary did not do that. Pope Gregory IX, who died in 1241, he says, Care must be taken that no woman presumes to walk to the altar or minister to the priest or to stand or sit within the chancel. 1241. Pope Innocent IV, 1254. Women should not dare to serve at the altar. They should be altogether refused this ministry. So we can see that in some places it was being attempted, but these popes say absolutely not. Also, the uh, 1917 Code of Canon Law, Canon 813, also forbids women from performing sacred functions around the altar past the chancel. This is the tradition of the church. Taylor, you might be saying, why is it that I go to Novus Ordo churches and I see this stuff all the time? It's because we live in a time of infiltration. We live in a time of compromise. We live in a time in which we don't have, well, we have the leaders that we deserve. We have leadership that has gone soft. As you saw today, another sexual charge against ex-Cardinal McCarrick came out today. How do you get to a church where you have a Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., who's a key power player under uh, John Paul II and under Pope Francis initially, and he's a known pedophile with boys and seminarians at his lake house, and no one does anything? It's because of... We have a soft church. We just had, there's a Franciscan friar on Twitter yesterday and today saying that adoration is a waste of time unless you get up and move for justice. There could be a way to interpret that in an orthodox way, but the very fact that we have religious discouraging Eucharistic adoration Or saying the purpose of Eucharistic adoration is not to adore God chiefly, but to mobilize you for social justice is just insane. We have a church that's soft and effeminate, and it's time for it to stop. We can do this by having careful theology, doing our theology carefully. I think if you listen to me, if you heard me out, you don't think I'm a misogynist. I've... I have a lovely wife. We've been married, what is it now, 22 years. I have four lovely daughters who I love dearly and they love me. I have a great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. You hear me all the time saying, pray the rosary every day. Go to the first Fridays, celebrate the Marian feasts. But if you understand the Eucharist and you understand what Christ instituted in the miracle of transubstantiation and the role of the priest in Persona Christi and the meaning of the words, this is my body, this is my blood, and understand the word my, and understand that there are males and females and only a male can stand in for Jesus and say my body because he has a male body. Once you understand all that, women priests, Reverend Karen, It just don't make no sense unless you think lesbianism is cool. You're like, yeah, I want to go to the lesbian liturgy. I want there to be a female Christ, a Christa, and I want her to give her body to the bride of Christ, which is feminine. And I just think that's groovy and cool to have this lesbian thing going on. Same-sex union. Now, there's a lot of people in the Catholic Church who think that's super groovy and awesome. They want lesbian, they want a lesbian everything, and that's why they want women priests. Nancy Pelosi, uh, during Holy Week, or maybe it was during Easter week, was talking about how she's still hoping that we'll have women priests. And when she was a little girl, she wanted to be a woman priest, and maybe we just be progressive enough. Nancy Pelosi is just, you know, she's just praying that we get those women priests, but it's not Catholic, it's not sacramental it's not eucharistic and it's it's contrary to the truth now you may be a pious godly woman who's never heard any of this and you may be a lay eucharistic minister or an altar server and you're saying taylor i love jesus i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to promote women's ordination i don't want this what should i stop am i doing the wrong thing pray about it. I've been contacted. It's one of the most common messages I get. Email, support tickets. Hey, thank you. You know, I was a Eucharistic minister and I always did it because I love the Eucharist and want people to have the Eucharist. But when I heard you explain why it is that priests alone minister the Eucharist, I kindly and gently told my priest to take me off the list. Now, there's a whole other element to this, which is Priests, when they're ordained, get their hands consecrated with holy oils to perform the sacred ministries, not only to absolve of sins, but also to hold and bless the Eucharist. Lay people don't have that. Not even deacons have that. Priests alone have that. That's another argument. See, when you get deep into our tradition, you realize that our ancient fathers in the faith Set boundaries and they set landmarks because they understood these deep mystical principles that we in our soft, weak time have forgotten. There are these beautiful gems, rubies, diamonds of Catholic devotion and theology and an understanding of the sacraments, in particular the Eucharist, that we weren't taught or that we forgot or that we neglected or that priests and religious buried in the ground. And so a lot of this stuff, we're like, wait, there shouldn't be altar girls or But if you had a Catholic understanding that like Joan of Arc had, Joan of Arc was not saying I'm this great warrior, prophet, virgin, let me be a Eucharistic minister. Right uh, in the Old Testament, Judith and Deborah, these powerful women, they weren't like. Now let me come up and start helping the priests in the temple. What do you, what do you guys, you guys need me to be a deacon? You need me to be a, a Levite, Eucharist sacrifice, sacrificial minister around the temple? No, no. You see that nowhere in the Old Testament. You see it nowhere in the New Testament. The only time you start seeing it is in the seventies and the eighties when the church was falling into decline. We have weak leadership, and compromise sexually and financially. Vatican bank scandals. If you want to learn more about that, I have a book, Infiltration, documents the last two hundred years, in particular from the fifties and the sixties forward. You know, Blessed Anne, Ca- uh, Blessed Catherine Emmerich said that the devil would be released. 50 to 60 years before the year 2000 i document that in this book she knew what she was talking about she knew what she was talking about and if we're going to restore our sacred patrimony our tradition we need to learn our faith again right we know i think viscerally this is wrong right the reverend karen but what about getting everything correct the way we order our sanctuary, the way we order our cross, our candles, where the priest sits ad Orientum or versus Populum ad Oxidum. All these things, where is the tabernacle? Is it in a room down the hall? Are there altar boys? Are there altar girls? What kind of music? What kind of instruments? All of these things have been discussed for hundreds of years and suddenly we thought In our enlightened, optimistic, post-World War II society, we could just reimagine everything and make it better. And when we attempted to do that, we made it worse. Sadly. If you do want to go deeper and study the ancient Roman Rite, from the time of St. Peter all the way unto our day, the Latin Mass, the liturgical calendar... Even if you want to learn how to pray the prayers in Latin, I do have a full online course. You can go to nsti.com. There's actually 10 courses for this Easter period. You'll get all 10 courses when you sign up. you want to take online courses with me, including on liturgy, apologetics, philosophy, theology, sign up at nsti.com, New St. Thomas Institute. That's a good opportunity to go deeper. People need to learn these things, and I'd be happy to help. Well, I think that was a fun show today. We got to have fun with Reverend Karen, and I hope you stayed on all the way to the end here and you learned the principle, the sacramental principle of priesthood and Eucharistic sacrifice. That really is the center that holds everything together, and it's why we don't have women priests, right? But it also relates to all these other things about how we situate our altar, how we decorate our altar, how everything is supposed to be um, decorous, fitting, Proper, beautiful, reverent. All those things, again, which started to be lost in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. All right, well, we're going to close with the Our Father, which is the prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us. And we'll pray it in Latin. I'll pray extra slow today so you can pray with me, and I'll put the words on the screen. And nomine Patris et fidi et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater noster qui es in ce sanctificetur nomen tuum, ad regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Panam nostrum, quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos, dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Let's pray the Hail Mary, too. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in molieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus nunc, et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Nomini nomine Patris et fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Now, I've got about eight minutes left here, so I'll do some Q&A from y'all. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, need some clarifications, now's the time. I'll take the next eight minutes and we'll roll through some Q&A. Thank you to everyone who did a super chat. I saw those coming through. I'm sorry if I wasn't able to identify them during the chat, but I do appreciate you. All right, coming in here and looking at your comments and your questions. Laura says, my son is an altar servant, doesn't even touch the sacred vessels with his bare hands, even when he serves at Noah's Ordo Mass. That's correct. All the early church fathers say that if you are a layman, if you're not a priest, deacon, or subdeacon, you cannot even touch the chalice, the paten, the tabernacle, any of the sacred vessels that hold the consecrated Eucharist, you can't even touch them. I might even have the quote here. Let me see if I got it. There's a famous quote from Jerome. And do I have it? No, nope, I don't have it. I wish I did. Um, but yeah, you can't even touch the vessels that hold the Eucharist. So you'll see in traditional churches like Laura's church, if a um, you know, one of the women's who helps with the linens, or if one of the altar boys needs to go and get a a monstrance, a chalice, a ciborium, or anything like that. He has to wear white gloves on his hands. He's not trying to look like Michael Jackson. He's wearing gloves because he's not allowed to touch the vessels. That's how holy the vessels are. Remember in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, you couldn't even touch the Ark of the Covenant unless you were a priest or a Levite. That's the same principle in the New Testament. So, I'm, Laura, I'm very happy. I love your picture too. Laura, I'm very happy that your son is being taught the proper way to serve at the altar and show due reverence. Angela says, My parish has altar girls. I think they are beautiful in white robes. I don't have a problem with it, but t- taking it further or becoming priests, priest, I can't agree with. All right, Angela, but it's not about being beautiful. They can be beautiful in a dress, in a pew. like You know, that's not a theological argument. Um, but taking it further becoming a priest, I can't agree with. Well, I mean, that's the same logic, though. If, if we're going to dress them up like priests and put them up on the altar with a priest to train how to be a priest, you are essentially saying, this is preparing you to discern to be a priest. And then you're pulling the rug out from beneath him and saying, uh-uh, you can't be a priest. It's like, well, what was I just doing for the past 10 years up here on the altar with Father? It's inconsistent. It's not our tradition as Catholics. It's confusing to the girls. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to the girls. Thank you for your comment. Super chat from Jerry, uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall, I'm struggling with said of Kantism Would you be willing to debate Di- Brother Diamonds or that would be great for our faith? Uh, I said it before, I'll say it again. I, St. Robert Bellarmine. Do I have the book here? Yes, here it is. Hold up. St. Robert Bellarmine has a very clear process in which a antipope is identified, declared, and removed. It's a canonical process. We as lay people, me, you, are not part of that process. Now we can discuss it. We can have you know, debates over whether this pope is or is not anti-pope. But we're not part of that process. That's why I'm always saying I wish the cardinals would get involved and begin admonitions in the process in our current situation. So it wouldn't do any anybody any good unless we had a couple cardinals who are willing to begin canonical processes for investigations on heresy and tyranny, which are the two crimes listed by. Robert Bellarmine for beginning the process of an investigation for a anti-pope. So that's why I don't concern myself in it. What I'd rather do is share things to the best of my ability to help people grow in their faith, like praying the rosary, uh, finding the traditional Latin mass, um, novenas, devotion to St. Joseph, devotion to St. Thomas Aquinas, learning the Summa Teologia, reading the Bible in a year, all the things you hear me saying, teaching, trying to promote Marian, approved Marian apparitions, pilgrimages, etc. cetera. So uh, it's not something that I get involved in, but thanks for your super chat. What about women readers doing a reading at a mass? Well, One of the seven holy orders is lector, which is reader. That was reserved for men. It wasn't until the 1970s when you start having female lectors. Can women read just as well as men? Absolutely. A lot of times women can read much more elegantly the lections at mass than a man can who maybe stumbles through them. So ability to read is not the purpose of a lector. There's many people in antiquity who could read but they didn't read during the liturgy. Why? Because the liturgy is performed by the clergy, by the priests. Reading sacred scripture, I mean, I read sacred scripture by myself here in that chair, right? I get a cup of coffee, I read the Bible, right? I sit with my wife, she reads a passage to me and I read a passage to her and we discuss it, right? But that's not the Eucharistic sacrifice, when a subdeacon is ordained, a subdeacon in the tradition, the bishop said, read the epistle for the living and the dead. In other words, he was making a propitiatory sacrifice, not the Eucharist, but he was making oblation for the living and the dead when he read the epistle. And when they, they ordain the deacon, they would say, the bishop says, read the gospel for the living and the dead. In other words, the deacon is reading the gospel as a propitiatory action for the living and the dead, souls in purgatory even. So there's a liturgical function to reading the lessons. It's not, it's not just a utilitarian function like, well, who has the best voice and is the most elegant reader? That's not the purpose. The purpose here is this is priestly ministerial behavior, which is another reason, by the way, for retaining the lessons to be proclaimed in Latin or in Greek, traditional languages, and then read in vernacular English at the time of the sermon, which is what they do at my church. So, yes, the idea of women readers, women Eucharistic um, ministers, and women altar servers are all contrary to the tradition east and west in the one true church. I know this is controversial. Please don't be offended. Please just hear it out. All right, one more question. Everyone is most welcome to attend the Mass. Absolutely. Very good. Looking for a question. There's a lot of good comments here. But I'm going to go for a question. Dr. Marshall has a dry sense of humor. I love it. I don't know about that. Hayes Hooper, question. Can you explain bishop ordination versus consecration? Yes. According to the tradition of the church, in the Roman Rite, the seven holy orders are priest to porter. I have a whole video on that, by the way. If you go into my YouTube channel, Taylor, just search Taylor Marshall, minor orders or holy orders, it'll come up. The priest is ordained, the deacon is ordained, the subdeacon is ordained, even the acolyte and the exorcist and the lector and the porter are ordained, but the bishop is consecrated. Churches are consecrated. The Eucharist is consecrated. Sacred virgins, nuns, widows are consecrated for the religious life. Monks and friars are consecrated. So consecrated is something more. And a bishop is consecrated a bishop, traditionally speaking, not ordained a bishop. So if you're hanging out with traditional Latin mass Catholics, like a FSSP, SSPX, Institute of Christ the King, or Sedeve Contus, whatever, they will say when such and such a bishop was consecrated as a bishop or when she was consecrated as a nun, or when that church was consecrated. But ever since Vatican II and the Novus Ordo, they'll say he was ordained a bishop. And I think this is an important distinction because since Vatican II, and since the 70s in particular, bishops have gone from being patriarchs, fathers, shepherds, holding the pastoral staff, to businessmen, CEOs that wear black suits and sit at desks with a bunch of people surrounding them as buffers so that priests and laity cannot access them as their spiritual father. There has been a change in the understanding of what it means to be a bishop. It's more CEO. And I I think liberal Catholics and conservative Catholics would agree with me on this point. Since the 1970s, bishops are more of a CEO functionary. They meet with lawyers. They meet with advisors. They're not the father of all the priestly fathers. They are not the beloved shepherd. You know, you look back at like St. Martin or St. Ambrose and Saint Cyprian and some of these bishops who were so close to their people and their people knew them, or Saint Nicholas is another example. I was lost. And I think it's the way bishop the bishopric was re-theologized in 1960s? Good question. I know it's a short answer. I could go on more, but there it is. All right, everybody, thanks for watching. Pray your rosary every day. You're not on the team. Uh, If you want to take online courses, go over to nsti.com, sign up as a student. I'd be happy to continue the educational journey into traditional Catholicism, Scripture studies, apologetics, philosophy, and theology. 10 courses available right now for our Eastertide uh, celebration. And until next time, oh, like the video, subscribe, share it everywhere so that people know why we don't believe in women's ordination, Reverend Karen. And until next time, remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. Christ is risen. Hallelujah.